0: Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 115 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again, in my own highly biased opinion, I think I have an awesome show lined up for you today. In a short while, I'll be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest, Tim Box. Then I'll be uh, I'm going to be picking up the range from where I left off last week with our kind of central section. Following on from last week, I'm going to be talking about thinking scientifically. Uh, We then return with our professional discussion with my guest, Tim Box. Uh, We're discussing and talking about his approach to working with anxiety disorders. But also, Tim's going to be talking a bit about how we we frame, how we label mental health issues. Um, And Tim is seeking to challenge some of the ways in which establishments portray mental health issues. Makes for a very stimulating conversation. Uh, We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell. For another week. As I said at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis, and encouraging. Friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate, as well as doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests, and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub, and all of whom, following their time here on Hypnosis Weekly, I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts, or feedback, do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links are posted in the episode notes section at iTunes and on each episode's page on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments, make any suggestions there too. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. If you enjoy this podcast, do please go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. I'll be a BFF if you do. And it takes just a few seconds, one or two clicks to give us a favourable rating. I mean, it helps us a great deal. Um, so first up today is this week's interview. Uh, this week's guest is Tim Box. And, you know, Tim's a very popular practitioner and, uh, and he works with plenty of clients and over the years has developed his own way of working with people. And, and uh, as you'll hear him talk um, 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 about, you know, he, it's, it's, it's a way which suits him and his style. And, and, and he has some strong beliefs about working in such a way, in such a congruent fashion that you'll hear about shortly. Um it, it became obvious to me really early on in our exchanges and the, the, the ensuing discussions that we had as to why he is so popular. You know, he, he's very likable uh, and affable and clearly loves his work and has a passion for it. And, and he's got a real vision for the mental health field in general, which we come on to later on in the show. So let's get on with it, shall we? For now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume. Sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest on Hypnosis Weekly, the one and only Mr. Tim Box. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hello,
1: Adam. Thank you for having me on. It's brilliant to be here.
0: So um, let's learn a bit about you. For people that don't know you, um, um, tell us, how did you get into this field? Uh, What's your background? How you've arrived at where you are now? Tell us a bit about your journey.
1: Okay. Well, about 10, 11 years ago... I was a plumber, actually. So completely unrelated. It's not right. necessarily a yeah. natural career progression from plumber <laughs> no. to No, um, really. But it was—it was very much not a fit for me. I was not a good plumber, put it that way. It was—I uh, was—I come from a background. I did philosophy at degree level, and I was always more into this sort of stuff than I was into hands-on stuff. I'm not yeah. the best DIY guy, but I was working in my dad's plumbing company. It was just something I went into to pay the mortgage, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and then at a certain time, about 10 years ago, my dad said, right, I'm, I'm going to retire and I'm going to hand the plumbing company over to you. And that was actually... That wasn't tremendously welcome, that news, because I didn't have any ambitions to own a plumbing company and then, when I was 65, retire from plumbing, if that makes sense. So yeah. I thought at that time I'd started to think I need to find something to pursue that is more fulfilling, more rewarding, and is a bit more mm-hmm. me. And it was around this time I was just starting to discover YouTube and the internet and the fact that you can find pretty much any piece of information you want to find these days. And I was looking at YouTube videos and, you know, when you watch YouTube videos, there'll be like 10 suggested videos down the side of the screen from the one you've watched. Nine of them are vaguely related. And there's the one at the bottom that's just completely random. And then (laughs) before you know it, you're learning how to solve a Rubik's Cube and things like that when you had no desire to originally. Um, And one of these ones at the bottom of the screen was a hypnosis video. And because I'd read a couple of books, I'd had a vague interest in it. Um, I just thought, I'll click on that and see, see what there is. Because I'd always thought I need to do a psychology degree to do any sort of hypnosis or get into that sort of field. I just assumed that. And when I saw, when I was at university, the people doing psychology, it was a lot of work. And it, it seemed like way more work than I was capable of. And um, But I started to look at these videos. I started to follow the sort of daisy chain through YouTube of different hypnosis demos, different hypnosis theory presentations, stuff like that. And I very quickly realized that there are as many different definitions of hypnosis as there are hypnotists. And everyone seems to have a different idea of what we were doing and what was going on with it, which I found interesting. And I still do. Um, And then I chanced upon upon a video by John Chase, um, who was doing some Q&A videos. He had a lot of video content on at the time, still does. And I heard him talking about it. And there was something in me that thought, you know what, I hope I hope that's what it is, because if it is that I think I'd be interested in finding out a bit more about that. And one of the things he was saying was that, yeah, we can teach you to hypnotize in a quite a short space of time. We can do it in a weekend. So I went onto his workshop, found his next, sorry, onto his website, found his next workshop. And I just thought, on a whim, it's a month's time. I'll go to Swindon and learn to hypnotize. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, perhaps people listening will resonate with this, but that first moment when you discover hypnosis is quite impactful. And yeah. the weekend just, it just blew my mind. I remember driving home and ringing my partner at the time and saying, oh my God, I've got magic powers. I can't believe it. <laughs> and it, was, it was just that amazing eye-opening weekend. But the thing about this, I wasn't doing anything therapeutic with it. I had no desire to do something therapeutic with it. It was just, you know, I was practicing on friends, sticking them to things, getting them to forget their name, just all the usual stuff. Um... And I wasn't, you know, there was uh, the same time around my life, I started to learn magic tricks and learn to juggle and stuff like that. I was just that guy, you know? Yeah. Um, And then one of my friends, I remember having her stuck to the table at one point, and she said, look, why don't you do something useful with this? And I said, "Uh, I believe I am. And uh, she was like, (laughs) something actually useful. And she said, look, you know I'm getting married in a few months. Here's the thing. I bite my nails, and I don't want to wear false nails on my wedding day because they're uncomfortable can you help me stop biting my nails and um I said well how bad how bad is it what's the, what's the problem she said well I only realize I'm biting my nails when I taste blood and I thought well that sounds a bit like yeah blinding. Further, like out of my remit if that makes sense you know and um I remember saying to her look I've, I've not been trained in this it might be unethical to have a go at it um so let's have a go shall we and we, and we just <laughs> literally just stumbled into it and I remember doing it exactly as I would do any silly stuff with hypnosis. I hypnotized her, said, You don't bite your nails anymore. You used to. You don't know why you stopped, but you stopped for some reason and you don't do it anymore. And I was open wide awake, etc. And she looked at me and said, Well that obviously didn't work. And I said, No, I probably didn't. Let's get on with our lives, shall we? And we just forgot all about it. Then it was a couple of weeks later and she was around my house and she said, Oh by the way, Tim, I forgot to tell you. All my nails have grown back. And she showed me her nails and she hadn't bitten them since we did that silly little hypnosis session. And I remember that moment vividly because it was probably the single most impactful moment of my life. I, I had to leave the room because I could feel myself welling up and about to burst into tears. Brilliant. And I remember it just being the best feeling I'd ever felt. And I and to, don't get me wrong, it's not like I'd lived in a cave all my life. I'd had some good times, you know, <laughs> but that was just the most fulfilling and rewarding moment of my life. So I thought, wouldn't it be lovely to feel that more often? And that's when I sort of dived down the rabbit hole and started to attend all the trainings, chase down the people I wanted to mentor me and just just really immersed myself in that world. Mm. And I opened my practice once I trained properly, um, got my own clinic set up, started to work out of Harley Street after a while. And, you know, it's just gone on from there, really. And um, I, I guess that the big thing about what's brought me here, where I am, was that because my training initially was very much from day one we were taught that hypnosis is not dependent on any trance. You know, I, I remember the first thing I did was stuck someone's hands together and they were eyes open wide awake. They were like, this is really weird. I can't take my hands apart. And so I knew that connection could be made without the more elongated trance process. So I started yeah. to, um, and here's the thing: I don't know if this resonates with you, Adam, but when you get full time and you get busy and I'm seeing clients five days a week, Um, the trance aspect of it started to really tire me out. And it started to, I don't know, I I felt myself taking a bit of damage from that because it was wearing me out. I was starting to not look forward to my days in clinic. And I thought, well, from what I know, I think maybe the reason it's tiring me out is because it feels like an unnecessary part of the process when I'm doing it. And I thought, what if I just did what I did anyway, but did it without close your eyes deeper and deeper, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I just I just took it out of the process and just carried on working with clients and results remained just as good. I was enjoying myself more. They were getting a better version of me as a result of that. And I just started to work with them present and involved in the process. And yeah. the other thing for me as well is I've always thought that, I mean, this isn't news. This isn't unique perspective on my part, but I think we should be empowering the people we work with to know that it's them making the changes, yeah. um, which every every therapeutic process, hopefully is aiming to do. But I found the, the trance process of, right, go to sleep. When you wake up, everything will be fixed. I found it incongruent with that idea that they were an active part of the process because it, it framed it too much like we were fixing you rather than you yeah. were fixing you or whatever, however you want to put it, you know. Yeah. And so when I started to work non-trance, it just felt more collaborative and my clients were going away feeling more empowered and more proud of themselves rather than grateful to me
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah uh, you know i i love that i love that it, it, it um it, that's real music to my ears i, I speak okay. uh you know I speak a great deal about you know, like, like a secondary objective to whatever the, the, the sort of mm. primary issue that's being cited uh, within sessions for me is the development of, of self-efficacy and, uh, yeah. and, and, and the, that this collaborative component that you're discussing there um, yes. um, is, 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 is spot on. I love that. I love that. Yes. Um, well, this, um, this, 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 this became very
1: fundamental to what I was doing. And I think there was a big moment when a client came back for a follow-up session and she was saying to me, um okay when I left here 10 out of 10 awesome feeling great everything was sorted and then she said and a couple of days later uh, I realized it wasn't 10 out of 10 it was something it was good but it was like 7 out of 10 something yeah. like that you know and I said well okay let's work on that today get it back to 10 out of 10 for you and she said no no because that thing that we did in the room on the day I did it myself and it's 10 out of 10 again she yeah. said I, I don't need you do I and there was that moment <laughs> of, oh my god somebody's noticed <laughs> and yeah and then, but then that that caused me to formulate my system of of how we do it for ourselves. And then I started to focus a lot more on teaching people to have control of their own emotional and um, and subconscious responses. So that's that's yeah. what got me here, I suppose. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I I love to, uh, you know, I I really enjoy hearing that. Um, I'm, mm. you know, I had a big smile on my face while you were speaking. Then, um, um, you know, let's just let's just sort of hone in a little bit on, on hypnosis tell me tell me where you're at as far as hypnosis is concerned you know how how do you define it if you do um how have you arrived at that you know how to explain yeah. um, um hypnosis to clients or and does that differ from how you explain it to to people that corner you in the kitchen at parties kind of thing you know to <laughs> so tell me where you're at as far as hypnosis as a subject and as a phenomena is concerned
1: that's that's a really good question and i'm sitting here with a smile on my face now because it's that one that when I started out, I felt very, I felt a little bit of pressure to come up with an answer to that. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. we have to know what we're doing, otherwise, what are we doing? And the funny thing was, the first time I actually made an attempt myself to say, because obviously, there's loads of different definitions, everyone's got a different yeah. idea. There's some di- definitions I see, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really good. That's a great way of defining it. And and then there's some I'm like, oh, no, I don't agree with that at all. But I sought, when I was starting to do my own trainings in, in my way of looking at it, I, th- I thought, well, wow, I better actually put a bit in this manual about what hypnosis is and have a, have a kind of hands-out definition of what it is. And um, I really struggled. I, I literally found it, found it impossible to do. And see, so I just didn't. So I just don't define it, <laughs> which, is, which is probably um, it's yeah. a bit like a cop-out. But for me, because my method, there are certain people in the hypnosis community that would look at the way I work and say, well, that's not hypnosis. There are some sure. that would say, don't you dare say it isn't. It absolutely is hypnosis you're doing. There are some that just say it would, would say it isn't, you know. And because of that, I don't need to define hypnosis. I don't need to give an actual locked down, uh, logical, you know, binded thing that says this is hypnosis and if you're not doing this it isn't hypnosis because I don't really care whether I'm doing hypnosis as other people see it I care about whether myself and the people I'm training are getting the results that their clients are looking for and are positive about the process and the experience of doing it that's my only concern if you really had to pin me down though if you said what am I trying to create when we go about doing this then I would I refer to it as subconscious dominance that moment where that bit of you that's not your conscious actions, your deliberate actions is now clearly taking over in what we're doing. And I I struggle to define it again, but the way I do, I just show people, I just, Mm. I just show it happening. So I do some, um, some exercises with people to show, to bring, bring out the subconscious in the same way that, you know, I stuck that guy's hands together on my first weekend. We'll do stuff like that to show people how, when your subconscious mind commits to an idea, you would struggle to consciously override it. Um, and I think that, explains to them then why they haven't got rid of this issue they haven't changed it even though they've consciously been trying to for so long um that that's where i go with that and i'm i'm aware that to listeners of a hypnosis podcast that might be really unsatisfying um, <laughs> But that's that's what I have. I just I you know you, show people than than define it to them. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I like that. Uh, um, I, I like that. Also, I like the fact that uh, you could quite easily have sidestepped there because I would not have chased after you for, for an answer to that. But you said you know if if you were to nail me down, <laughs> then this is what I would say. So bravo. So d- tell yeah. me a little bit. I mean, you mentioned a couple of people earlier on. Um, yes. Um, 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 tell me tell me about some of your major influences or or if there have been any any books or authors that have kind of stood out to you that have taught you most or teachers that have been most influential upon you, some of the yeah. reasons why, just kind of give me give, give me an idea of some of the landscape of your own background and so on.
1: Okay, that's, um, I'm, I'm not a fan of reading. Um, I'll tell you that right now. So I'd love to, I've read, you know, my fair share of hypnosis books and all that sort of thing. Um, but it would only, I could cite the obvious ones, you know, Elman, things like that. But I think for me, the people that have influenced me the most are people I've interacted with or trained with and people as well who I've watched content. I've actually seen them doing stuff video-wise. I, yeah. I like to learn by doing and seeing. I'm that sort of guy. So yeah. when, when I started out, obviously obviously John, John Chase is an influence because he's the guy that taught me hypnosis. And yeah. you, always, you never forget your, your first trainer, do you? And that, that yeah, right. so He's a massive influence in that sense. Um, even though we disagree on many, many things now, um, hypnosis and otherwise but you know that's, that's where I got it from so all, all credit due to him there um, Barry Thane, I really like Barry, I, I watched loads and loads of online content of Barry before I actually met him and, and picked his brains a little bit, I love in particular, what I love about his approach is when I, I saw what he was doing, it was suddenly okay to say to the person we're working with, I have no idea if this is going to work or not but we're going yeah. to you know, yes. and I love that. And as soon as I realized I didn't have to be that and you'll never be troubled with that again. This is the moment when it all changes and you'll be fine from here on in because it didn't again. It wasn't me. It wasn't the way I would do it. And I saw him doing that. And I thought, oh, so it's so it doesn't spoil it to say I've no idea what's going to happen now, but we're going to try it. You know, and yeah. and I like that. I just think also he's a, he has a way of doing it that while saying I have no idea if this is gonna work, somehow conveys the message that you absolutely freaking know it's gonna work. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's just that little, that very, that talent he has, I think, um, yeah. his, his own certainty in what he does whilst being happy to be uncertain of what the client's gonna do, you know, yeah. and, I, and I like that. Um I would then oh the other thing I should say about Barry, I did a, i did just a single supervision session with Barry back in the day, loved it and um but I only did one because I realized later on that I got everything I needed from Barry when I said he said, What what do you want to do then? What do you want what do you want help with? And I said, um, well I don't want to know about the times when we get the great results and where, you know, we feel like the king of the world, all that sort of thing. I just want to talk about those days when you feel like you've not done any good for anyone today. And Barry sort of uh, he sighed and he said oh yeah I know those days and for me that was it that was like I can go home now (laughs) yeah just the fact that you are saying that to me just gives me that kind of oh it's okay you know I I can't I can't fix everyone instantly and that's okay do you know what I mean and I think and I think to hear somebody of his stature and his skill and intelligence as well just say it's okay it was that was i don't know i don't know if that will resonate with anyone but that for me that was uh, that was mm. a lovely moment and um you know if i ever see him i'll thank him for that um another one is bob burns i don't you know bob burns um, yeah. love him to bits be, just because of his humor and his outlook i think he's just the most lovely guy to be to be around and to talk to about this stuff and i you know the trainings i've done with him i just remember them as the times the trainings I've smiled the most and laughed the most, and and I love the the energy um, and honesty he brings to the industry. I think he's awesome. Um, and lastly, the what? Okay, the the one person I should mention, not necessarily like massively influenced me, but influenced me in a way that when you're really close to somebody who does the same thing as you, when you're good friends, your conversations influence each other, you know, yeah. and you and you grow together. I'm going to mention Zoe Clues um who um, you know one of my best friends one of um and her energy and drive is inspiring also her ability to speak at a speed that no human ear can keep up with as well I think <laughs> but um but yeah love her to bits and so it would be unfair if I didn't mention her as a big influence in my development but yeah that's, yeah, that's yeah, my yeah, sort yeah. of um, rogues
0: gallery if you like great well. great 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 so tell me Tell me, you know, within the time that you've been working within this field and you've been using hypnosis, what's been, mm. what's been one of the most impressive applications that, that you've directly witnessed?
1: That's a, that's a really tough question. I think, and, and this is going okay, to sound like a cop out of an answer. I'll tell you that right now. But okay. I tend to, I'm still massively impressed, always, just by the person in front of me's ability to change. And if I had to say something, it's never it's never particularly the hypnotist that impresses me. It's the person sitting there and their mind's capacity to instantly shift their perception of reality. And I find that extraordinary every time, whether it's, you know, nail biting or, you know, depression or whatever you want to take the smallest of it or pain, all of that sort of stuff. And I know that's a cop out and I know it's a real <laughs> sort of... Um, a diplomatic answer rather than singling out one thing because yeah. I think we'd all agree when we start to go down this process we witness loads of things that you know in the old days they would be called miracles mm. and, I, and I still find it amazing I still have that thing where a client comes back to follow up and there's a bit of me thinking well obviously that hasn't worked what we did and yet when they say it's worked I'm like yeah of course it did. Because it always does, you know what I mean? Because it kind of tends to. And so there's, I couldn't single out one thing that I've seen that, is, oh, that really sticks out in my mind. Because I would go back to something really that we would regard trivial. Like the first time I saw a hypnotist say sleep and somebody, you know, Then yeah. and, and that wouldn't be something of value to, to your listeners, I don't feel. But it's, um, I, you know, and, and again, I don't do a lot of watching other hypnotists now. Sure. If, if that makes sense. I yeah, don't yeah, yeah. do a lot of trainings now. And I think, you know, that's probably one thing I would, I, would stress to, I stress to people when I'm talking to them about when they're coming into the profession. You can end up one of those people that is constantly, oh, this year I'm going to do these three trainings. This year I'm going to train with these people and find out their method. And I don't do a lot of that now because I started to recognize that my learnings were starting to dilute what I had rather than enhance it, if that makes sense. Don't get me wrong. CPD, continued professional development, you know, supervision, all that stuff is core. It should be something we're doing. Uh, I still read articles. I still keep up, hopefully, a little bit on what's going on in the industry. Um, But I don't now just now think, right. I've got to do your training. I've got to do your training. I've got to learn your method. because. I've I've got what I need if that makes sense. I think I've drifted yeah. off subject there. But yeah. no 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 no.
0: I I really get that. There's some the, 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 there's some really useful uh, um, value in there. In fact, that it kind of leads me quite nicely onto uh, um, the next question because there, there, there was some advice in your previous answer that I think um, um, yeah. um, could could probably be incorporated into this next question, which is you know if you could go back to when you started out. You know, uh, 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 as a hypnotherapist, uh, a, a hypnosis professional, um, um, knowing knowing what you know now, is there anything you would do differently, and if so, what? And is there there any advice that the person you are today would give that younger you that you that you'd that's consider enough. sharing with sharing with our listeners? That's a, again, that's a great question.
1: I, I often thought, um, I have often thought that I would like to have started this sooner. You know, to have only been in this sort of field for ten or eleven years, I feel like. You know, I'm 46 years old. I could have started this a lot sooner if I'd have, um, I don't know, been in the right place at the right time or just just discovered the passion for it sooner. But then I feel like where I am now, I'm really, really pleased with not just hypnosis wise or therapeutically, but personally as, as a person. And I tend to think everything that shaped your journey, you know, my life experience before I came into this field is invaluable for my work with clients who who the person I am is my journey has been essential for me to be the person I am now and it would be really difficult for me to say to a younger version of myself um what to do differently because if I started sooner I probably wouldn't be as good a therapist as I am now um yeah. and yeah I, that I makes a lot of sense yeah i mean again it sounds a bit like a cop out but I, I, I would give myself the advice of of there, You can overtrain as well. You don't have to learn everyone's method. I would probably give give myself that advice because I feel like I did that for a little bit too long, um, sort of adding to my skills and trying this out. And I remember the moment when I, I very consciously became aware of, hang on, I've got to trim this back to those basics that I learned and keep it as simple as possible when I'm in process rather than overcomplicating it. And I've seen this so many times from fellow therapists or fellow hypnotherapists where their methods have become so convoluted and their toolkit is so vast that they confuse themselves over which way they should be going. And I think also we end up forgetting exactly what we're doing with our clients, which is getting them from where they are to where they want to be. And if we get too lost in the process we're incorporating to do that, we lose that connection with them and we stop understanding and hearing them because we're too focused on, well, there's this method I could use, there's this method I could use. Oh, but analytical types, we use this method for them. And it becomes too much of a a logical puzzle rather than an intuitive piece of work with your clients. So I probably would say to myself, at some point, you're going to feel like you're overcomplicating and step back from that as quick as you can. Because it was only once I realized that that I really started to fly in terms of the work I was doing with my clients. Yeah. And I do think as well, here's the thing, we get told all the time, we've got to work in a way that resonates with our client. We, we figure out how they work and then we apply the method that's best for that type of thinker. I get that and I think I do that. But the first step before that is work in a way that resonates with you as a therapist because that's the only way they're gonna get the very best version of you And I think if they get the best version of you, they will very probably get their result because you're confident in applying the method you're applying. You feel happy in the way you're working and you're not having to overthink the process. So I'm always when I'm training. My method is no better than anyone else's, no better or worse than any other method out there. But I use my method because it's the way I feel most comfortable and most effective. As a result, I have no doubts in what I'm doing. Whilst not knowing whether we're going to get the result or not, I have no doubts in my process because this is the way that resonates with me. And if I had to give some advice to somebody starting out, I'd say, find the way you want to work. And when you've got that nailed down, you can apply that method to any type of thinker, any type of person because, you know, good methods are flexible in that way and good therapists are flexible in that way. Yeah. So that's probably what I'd say.
0: Probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, th- I, th- I think there's a, there's a great deal of value in what you just said there. Now, we're, we're going to be speaking about an area uh, um, and a topic that's really close to your heart in a short while. Uh, for now, people listening, where, where can people go learn more about you, your approach, and and so on?
1: Uh, they can go to my website. It's the Control System dot co dot uk that's where you'll find all about me all about what i do and about how the way i work might differ from from what we've seen um and if people are interested they can come and train with me i run roughly half a dozen trainings every year for new practitioners that want to learn to work the way i work um yeah and and i'm always i'm always putting little videos up online and things like that as well They can
0: find me on facebook and instagram Uh, the control system is what i'm under so yeah. www.thecontrolsystem.co.uk there will be a link um, um to to tim's website and uh and his channels uh on this episode's page of the hypnosis weekly website uh, uh as well as in the in, in, in the session notes over on itunes um we will be back with tim box uh, in just a couple of minutes time I really enjoyed that. More from Tim shortly. Um, Next up, um, I want to follow on from last week and just talk a little bit about scientific thinking within within the hypnotherapy field, or as hypnotherapists. Um, I mentioned last week, you know, this summer I'm going to be speaking at two two big hypnosis conferences, the NCH uh, event here in the UK and the NGH uh, uh, annual convention in the US, both major hypnotherapy organisations. And in my workshops and presentations, Um, at these events I'll be asking my audiences to adopt some critical thinking skills and to apply scientific thinking Um, um, and you know I, I know I've spoken often here on the Hypnosis Weekly podcast about critical thinking and and it's this scientific thinking that's really important to what I do um, and how I teach and and, and and at the heart of a lot of the topics and themes that we visit here on this podcast and scientific thinking you know it's not just the exclusive domain of academia research or education it's something of huge benefit to all of us. Um, a real hero of mine, Christopher Hitchens, once said, "The essence of the independent mind lies not in what it thinks." but in how it thinks. And, uh, you know, I really rather love that. Um, Hypnotherapists, you know, we we encounter numerous challenges in everyday life which affect our work with clients, as well as our hopes and dreams for ourselves, our family, and other aspects of our lives. And, you know, our lives are full of decisions from from the small and mundane to to the life-changing stuff, um, all the way up to those things, you know, decisions that we're making for our clients and the direction that we want our therapy to go in. Um, life can present us with some tough questions and some challenging choices and the way we, we, we think and respond influences our life and our work greatly. Our thinking approach, you know, if we want the best outcomes, is the same way perhaps we'd want our, our government to approach the problems facing, facing our nation and so on. And, and at a fundamental level, the same way that scientists approach many of the problems that they face. And, and so, what, what am I talking about here when I talk about scientific thinking? You know, it's not necessarily about being correct or having concrete, irrefutable, immovable evidence. Instead, we apply what current scientific understanding we have to determine and to predict and to reproduce behavior of many things. And and you know, we always yield when updated scientific understanding comes along. Um The scientific method. Uh, offers us a structure it provides us with some steps that, that that any scientist can take to solve problems to research and to discover new things you know those people that, that have trained with me you know you'll have learned to use problem solving therapy and similar approaches um and, and 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 you other therapists you know you're most likely already to have used the scientific method in one way or another and just like with any skill it's something that can be greatly improved upon um and through conscientious practice and application um so I wanted to share a number of principles as to how hypnotherapists can think more like a scientist and and, and how it will benefit us on an everyday basis. And firstly, you know, I, I recommend identifying meaningful questions and stating them in ways that's conceivably possible to answer them. That is, you know, that it, it's important to recognise that there are two completely distinct types of questions, questions that... Take, take knowledge as an answer and those that only take opinion as an answer. You know, questions like um, how does flu attack the immune system and what's the distance between the earth and the sun, you know, are, are, are our first type of kind of factual based um, 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 knowledge type questions. But questions like, you know, why is there suffering in the world and um, 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 why are we here, you know, c- c- can really only be answered with an opinion. So meaningful questions in science are typically those of the first type and being scientifically minded means you don't perplex your opinions with knowledge of some truth. Um, But also and second of all, you know, you want to be asking yourself if a claim is falsifiable, you know, if it is not it cannot be thought of in scientific terms. Falsifiability is the capacity for some proposition or some statement or some theory or a hypothesis to be proven wrong. That capacity is essential in the scientific method and in scientific thinking. You know, thus the, the, the inherent incapability of disproving a particular claim does not render it true. So, for instance, you cannot disprove that there is a giant white gorilla that lives in the Himalayan mountains, but it always avoids humans and covers up any trace, uh, uh, you know, any any trace of itself. Um, um, but there's not necessarily any reason to have any grain of confidence about this claim's validity. You know, um, 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 the, the, the fact that there's no that there's no evidence against the the claim doesn't mean that it's true. Um, and and I'll, I'll put a link to an article that I wrote um, um, a while back about Bertrand Russell's teapot theory for more on this particular point um, um, in in, in the notes for this particular episode. Next up, you know, you want to only accept a hypothesis on the basis of adequate evidence and only if there are sufficient grounds to rule out rival hypotheses. So you, you accept stuff not as the ultimate truth, but as the best approximation of truth. An evidence. Is, is, is not through personal experience or plausible hearsay stories, but information gained through methodologically sound experimentation and stats to support it. And, and you know, I recommend that any, everyone use Occam's razor for, rule, for for this kind of ruling out process. Um, Occam's razor is a is a principle drawn from philosophy. Um, let's say that there are two possible explanations for an occurrence. This principle suggests that the one requiring the least speculation is usually correct. Correct. Another way of saying it is that the more assumptions you have to make, the more unlikely an explanation is. Um, so next up, you, you cultivate the virtue of intellectual humility. Um, um, so, you know, be aware of the fact that the device that you use to, to derive your conclusions and generate explanations, you know, your brain is often a poor data gathering machine. It's full of cognitive biases, heuristics, it's prone to psychological distortions. And, and you know that as therapists, you know you know that about your clients, but you wanna learn about your own mind's innate limitations, continuously remind yourself of their existence, try to recognize and reverse to, to whatever degree possible, their effects on your own reasoning process. Um, Again, to to, to delve into this further, I've explained a number of cognitive biases in in an article that I'll link to um, in in the session notes. You see, so many hypnotherapists seem to make decisions based upon things that they've accepted as truth due to perhaps the opinion of a charismatic teacher or because they paid money to go on a particular course or because they simply did not know the difference or, 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 or simply didn't know anything different than the perspective they had. My next point is that you be ready to revise or abandon previously held beliefs um, on the light of new evidence. You know, the more you resist, the further away you drift from the realm of scientific thinking. Um, um, But but there's all you know, and you run the risk of just entrenching yourself in dogmatic belief, you know, just believing for the sake of believing it because you always have done. Um, um, But on the flip side of this, you know, don't be too ready to abandon previously held beliefs, you know, unless you've really examined and really questioned new evidence. You know, critically think about novel claims, you know, sift through them and and use a sceptical filter. Um, um, You know, remember, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And you want to apply this mode of thought when you're scrolling through your news feeds and when people in this professional field make claims that seem fantastical. And my next point is that, you know, to to, to whatever degree you're, uh, degree you're able to, to be statistically minded, you know, a, an isolated case or an anecdotal case or a single study or a single case study, you know, that does not suffice to explain or prove the existence of a phenomena. One-off case studies or anecdotes, they are interesting and they can be useful, you know, especially in cases of rare diseases, for example. But they may not offer more than an initial interest going forward. An effect has to be reproducible before it can be considered reliable evidence. Also, you know, even if an effect is well replicated, it doesn't make it automatically generalizable to any other category other than the one that was used to produce the evidence. Um, now, um, um, Aristotle once said, "It's the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it." I love that idea, being able to entertain thoughts without accepting them. With that in mind, my next point is that you expose your mind to all kinds of information and to all opposing perspectives around your subject. Um, it's, It's a sort of mental attitude about critical thinking and about curiosity. It's a mindset of looking at the world in a playful and curious and creative way. Your thoughts require sustenance, you know, your, your reasoning process requires knowledge, ideas and novel modes of thinking. A great faculty of scientific thinking is creativity, which requires a, a cross-pollination of ideas from a wealth of different disciplines. You know, the the peer review process that that I've personally encountered when submitting my own academic papers to quality scientific and psychological journal publications, it's been something I've written about and spoken about here before, because whilst it can be challenging to have your work scrutinized by leading academic peers, it's also incredibly fertile and illuminating and it enriches what one does by drawing upon a wide range of other evidence and studies and areas of thought. You know, it broadens the scope. Um, so, so my next point is that you consider developing a curious mindset and attitude, you know, developing a scientific attitude as a way of thinking, um, um, c- you know, can be quite challenging, especially because, you know, I recommend that, that you have the ability to be confused. and 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 you keep hold of that confusion for a while and you keep thinking about the confusing thing you know whether that's an hour or or a day or a week or a year or or several years um um, as as is the case in many aspects of the field of hypnotherapy and hypnosis you know it's it's a classic human trait that we seek to know things um, um and to have to definitive answers. You know, we want answers to, and to, to understand something. We struggle with a sense of not knowing, yet it's an incredibly valuable place to be. And I tend to get particularly curious about those things that people seem absolutely certain about within the hypnotherapy field. Um, physicists at Stanford and the University of British Columbia found that encouraging students to repeatedly make differing decisions about data that they've collected improves their critical thinking skills. Um, it's the most bewildering kind of attitude um, that's needed to be developed because generally most people struggle to maintain a feeling of confusion for, for one or two seconds and they take a comfortable stance instead you know, on anything as soon as possible. They want to take a comfortable stance where they just know something. And most people get horrified, even if they sense that confusion is about to just enter their mind for a second, and it's going to shake the equilibrium of their mind. So they take any comfortable stance before confusion enters. And um, um, you know, this is you know, this is this is this is you know, not how the scientific attitude gets developed, and it leads to lazy thinking. And there's so much of this in the hypnotherapy field. So, you know, we then recommend that, that you never stop trying new things, um, um, that, that, you know, you develop an attitude about thinking of the unknown, thinking about things which don't have evidence, but may be possible, but we don't know. And then we experiment and explore. So these are just a few things that we can engage in to develop a scientific attitude or way of thinking within our hypnotherapy work. Um, you know it 's not the only way of thinking, but it 's certainly a very valuable and useful way of thinking um, um, that, that that I think advances the results that you 'll get in therapy and also enrich the way that you feel about your work um, so so next up we have this week 's professional discussion, and I welcome back tim box and 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 you know I love the fact that tim is is sharing um, um some of his approach and thoughts about um how 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 he how he treats clients with with anxiety disorders but also he's going to talk about about a vision that he has and about some of the issues he has with 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 the way in which mental health gets treated and dealt with i mean very general terms in the media and by establishments and so on and it makes for a really stimulating discussion so next up here is this week's professional discussion with my guest tim box enjoy (music) So I'm joined once again by this week's guest uh, Mr Tim Box and um, you know when I was asking when, when, when I send our guests on the sort of preparatory information for, for appearing on this podcast um, I'm, I'm, I, and I ask people you know what, what kind of topics you want to discuss what, what are we going to sort of roll our sleeves up and and get stuck into. Um, um One of the things that the the that, that Tim said that he had a lot to say about was, was the way in which mental health and anxiety in particular gets portrayed and covered by the media and, and, and finds himself explaining to a lot of people a wide number of different things, um, in particular, within the arena of, of, of anxiety. Um, um, Tim, Tim, first of all, just, just at the top end, tell us a little bit, you know, how is your interest in this kind of area developed, first of all? right
1: i think we'd have to go back a little bit when i was i, I was previous sufferer with social anxiety and the thing i, I was terribly anxious going into rooms of, of more than a few people in fact i it, this was probably for longer than i realized as well my first training to go back to that subject i remember my hotel room was just down the corridor from where we were meeting for coffees and i remember that day sticking my head out the door then popping my head back in sticking my head out the door popping my head back in and i was checking to see if they'd gone through to the training room to start the training. because I didn't want to be in that social, having a coffee with everyone situation. Um, and that was, that's my background. And overcoming that, I think, inevitably steers you towards that particular area. I've talked to so many therapists and their specialist area comes from the fact that they've overcome that particular issue themselves. So they mm-hmm. understand it to a slightly better degree than the thing they've never experienced. So I think my journey overcoming that was was a big influencer. And also the fact that anxiety is literally the modern epidemic. It's the thing that we're seeing most of. But I tell you something, I think the reason I overcame my anxiety was because I was never unfortunate enough to have someone tell me I had an anxiety disorder, Mm. which I feel then would have set me up against my feelings. Yeah, my, my emotional responses would have become my enemy they would have become an indicator of the degree that my illness was playing up at the time. And that I think is the biggest barrier towards people simply moving on and evolving past the things that currently make them feel anxious. That makes right. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, when I started out, nobody came into my clinic and said, I said, what, what are we here to do, help me with anxiety. Nobody said that there were obviously the vast majority of the issues could be traced back to the unpleasant feeling of anxiety getting inappropriate in, uh, in its intensity, but they weren't using the word that the use of the word as a, this is my disorder has come about quite recently in the last right. five or six years in my yes. experience, certainly what I've witnessed. And I think that's the problem when we feel overly anxious or the feeling stays around longer than we feel it should, we go to the doctor. And the doctor has massive limitations on what he can offer us. He's limited in time. He's got eight to 10 minutes for a doctor's appointment, which is not long enough to fully understand what's going on with us. He's then limited um, in his understanding because a doctor is not a mental health specialist. If he wants to become a mental health specialist, he has to do five or six years more training and become a psychiatrist. So a doctor's going to have limited understanding of the issue. And also he's massively limited So he or she, I should say, uh, is massively limited in the resources they can offer because Mm -hmm. they've got their medication or they've got a roughly 12 to 16 week waiting list for some CBT. So everything about the doctor appointment for your anxiety is going to be poorly tailored towards what's going on with you. And the one thing you will get from your doctor at that point is the label of your anxiety disorder. Mm. And as we know, the thing that anxiety sufferers are most anxious about these days is how anxious they are and will it ever end? And that's the problem. So this week happens to be mental health awareness week, which is a lovely coincidence to record this podcast on this day um, Mm. because we're seeing loads of stuff online at the moment about raising awareness for mental health issues. And what did I see the other day? I saw one thing that said, it had a list of things about uh, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I don't do anything right. And then the caption was your mental illness is lying to you. Mm. Now that's the problem in a sentence. Yeah, there's two issues there. The term mental illness, I would love it if we could just stop using that term. If we could just say emotional issues. Mm. yeah because everything's going on is emotional response yeah. um it's not a disorder it's not an illness if we didn't feel anxiety on a daily basis that would be a disorder because we'd be one emotion short of the full set you know yeah. um and the second thing that's wrong with that it's lying to you i remember having this conversation um with the aforementioned zoe clues she said that's it because anxiety lies to you doesn't it and i was like I, I don't think it lies to you at all but it gets it wrong all the time it's still telling you what it thinks the truth is but it's just mistaken. Mm. And the diff- and it may seem like a real picky little point there. But on one side of it if it's lying to you, then your mind is your enemy. If it's just getting it wrong, your mind is your friend who needs a bit of help here. And I think that that the way we view this is anxiety our enemy or is it our friend? That's key to getting the results, to getting mm. the shift in our thinking because if you set yourself up against your own mind and you beat yourself up, you just end up beaten. That's it. So yeah. I think that for me, if I had, I said this before we started recording. If I had a
0: soapbox, that would cause me to get. Up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you, but... you know, I, I, I love the idea of depathologizing anxiety. You know, I, I, I really yeah. do. Um, I, 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 and not necessarily considering it an, an, affliction or an, an illness. You, you know, you know, mm. I, I, I'm well on board with that. Um, um, with so, so, give me a little bit of an idea of, you know, how you, how you would prefer things to be. You know, what's, what, what's your vision? I would prefer it if
1: from the very onset of our education, we started to get educated in what our emotional responses were there for and understanding yeah. what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. So I know if I'm feeling fear, there's a part of my mind that says that thing over there is dangerous. And so it creates the feeling of discomfort That makes me say, right, the only way of getting comfortable again is to move away from that thing over there. And so I steer myself away from the danger. That's the purpose of it. If I feel anger, I know there's a bit of me saying we have been wronged. We must right the wrong. And so the adrenalization, the inability to think of anything else makes us take action to right the wrong that has been done to us. Mm. Okay, so I know the purpose of that. Anxiety gets mistaken all the time for what its purpose is anxiety its purpose is to say this is too important for you to lose focus on and that's why i'm going to direct your focus towards it that's Mm. it there's a bit of your mind saying think about this focus on this it's too important to simply lose focus on now if we if we listen to that part of us then we can work out why we feel anxious and we can address it either by recognizing it's something we can do nothing about so let's not bother pondering it or recognizing it's something we can do something about, so let's take action on it, okay? And I think all too often we, we regard anxiety as our enemy. So all we do is we push it away. We try and drown it out. We try and distract ourselves, and we, and we just move away from it. There's a bit of us trying to give us a message, and it knows we're here and we're ignoring it. That's why it starts to shout louder and louder and louder, because we're just not paying attention to it, because we think it's our enemy, and we reject it and put it down. And as a result, it just gets worse. And then mm-hmm. the biggest thing our mind's trying to tell us about is what the hell is all this anxiety? What's all this noise in here? Yeah. And then we just, we just end up in a battle with ourselves. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would, I would ideally like us to, to get that education and understanding what our mind's trying to achieve by giving us these particular responses. You ask somebody these days, what's anxiety? And they'll say, oh, it's a, it's a disorder, it's an illness, it's a, it's a malfunction or something like that. And that's because anxiety now seems to have this inherent negative connotation to it. You know, mm. as if as if we want we should be if we're well, we'll have no anxiety.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, there's there's dead people and psychopaths. They're the two types <laughs> of people that don't have anxiety. And <laughs> about how you were brought up mm. when I was a kid, that was considered a bad thing to be a member of either of those two groups. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Let's just yes. Except that sure. anxiety tells us something. And, and take away this idea that when we feel anxious, it's an indicator of how ill we currently are. Mm. You know, mm. I had to so um, yeah, so, 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 go on. No, no, no. You, you continue. Well, I, I just uh, I used to run anxiety workshops. I used to do specialist workshops in anxiety. I very quickly learned my lesson on that one because um, many of the attendees don't turn up because they're too
0: anxious that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah I well, exactly. To- I, I, and yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a bit like people getting anxiety about going to see a therapist.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I've had people message me saying, Sorry, I can't get to the workshop today. Wouldn't you know it? My anxiety's flared up. Today yeah. of all days. And I'm thinking, Well yeah, don't don't you realise you're anxious about coming here to do this workshop. That it's not like my, my illness, something about me, I didn't get enough sleep or I ate the wrong thing and now my anxiety's flared up. It was people referring it like it's a like it's a virus or a or a, you know, a, a bug or a germ. Yeah, it's just there's something that you're concerned about that your mind says this deserves your focus. Yeah, but we're interpreting that as oh my illness has flared up. And that is generally the message that is getting spread in Mental Health Awareness Week. It's not here's the remedy. It's let's recognize there's a huge problem that we all share. You know, so many people are suffering. Share that. You know, talk to people. You will realize you're not alone. And that's that's not good enough for most people. Because all that's going to happen then is they'll say, well, I'll put my hand up and say, yes, I have this mental illness. And that is not um, for most people that that's not a very, you know, attractive proposition. I think if we could just say, right, if you're suffering anxiety, here's the options. Here's some remedies. Here's some things you can do so that you no longer regard yourself as suffering with anxiety. We have this inherent idea that when we have a mental health issue, it's a state of permanence. All we can do is manage it. We can't cure it. We can't get the other side of it. We've got to manage it. And Mm. that is, well, false. Mm. And if we would just raise the awareness of the remedy, then we wouldn't be living on quite such an anxious planet.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, And That kind of leads me quite nicely onto, you know, you know I, I, I know that, that, that next month, for example, you're going to be giving a, a, a TED talk on, on, on this, uh, this, this kind of topic of making friends with anxiety, which is also the topic of your book um, yeah. um, and so so, so, so there's, a, there's a slightly different philosophy then that's kind of underpinning your approach, which is this idea of of, of, of making friends with anxiety. Yeah. Can, you, can Can you kind of explain that a little bit okay. What, what, I what do we mean by that?
1: Yeah, there's a mistake we make oftentimes. So you know that you get those little cartoons about the black dog of depression. Yes. And anxiety has a little sad brown sack of anxiety. And there'll be cartoons of it, of people saying, when my anxiety comes along, it sits on me and stops me doing anything that day. And, and all that sort of thing. And yeah. we get this idea that there's a part of our mind who is called anxiety. And, and I think that's, that's a fundamental mistake. I have a little... Oh yeah, I'll give you this, I'll give you a little analogy of, of how the mind works. And I, I always run with this, yeah. I, I think of the mind like a ship. Every ship has a captain and a crew. In this analogy, the captain is the logical, conscious mind, the bit that knows where we're going, why we're going there, how we're gonna get there. Uh, and unfortunately, the part of our mind that has its hands and all the things that steer and sail our ship is the crew and that's our subconscious. So ideally, the crew would be listening to the captain, the, captain the logical bit of us decides i want to go in that direction in life and the crew say aye aye captain let's do it Uh, because the crew are steering your ship using these emotions that's Mm. how they get it going where they think it should be going um now i'm always talking to people about we've got to find the member of the crew who's doing a job at the moment that doesn't quite get us where we want to go but i think the mistake we make is that there's a crew member in charge of anxiety it's just this one crew member and i think we all of our crew members will use every single emotion in the old toolkit at different times. And I think what we've got to do is just get them understanding what anxiety is about and get the captain listening to them when they trigger it. I don't think there's this, you know, when I say anxiety is our friend, it's a friend using that tool to get us where it thinks we need to go. And that, that bit isn't gonna to respond to you shouting at it or mm. to you ignoring it even. I think this is it. we beat ourselves up all the time, don't we? Our, our inner monologue tends to be a negative one, isn't it? Oh, you stupid, you shouldn't have done that, or you should have done that, or you've done that wrong again. And, and all we're doing is grabbing a crew member that's already doing its best, and we tell it that it's no good. But are we telling it what we want from it instead, or are we just shouting at it? Are we listening to its issues of why it's got to do this thing, or why it thinks it's right, or are we just shouting at it?
0: I don't know. It's just. Um... Yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. Um, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense. So, so you, know, what? Um, tell me some of the. You know, if we, if we if we sort of step back and become a bit more um i'm um, um, a, a bit more sort of sort of tangible then you know you've, mm-hmm. i think you've given us a, a beautiful illustration of, of 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 the philosophy and and your reason behind it and, and i think anybody listening can see that that that's really Im- impassioned um um within within what you're doing um what 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 are some of the some of the kind of key features then and perhaps even some of the some of the differences um, um of, of your approach in in sort of real life terms
1: In real life terms, I guess everything that I'm doing with clients is it's a negotiation with your subconscious. It's Mm. a conversation. Everything. Yeah. Everything that I'm doing therapy is a conversation with your crew. That's it. I mean, if you want it, you literally want to break it down in simplest terms. The good thing about that is that hopefully when your crew start doing something different, they're doing it because they know it's the best thing rather than because the hypnotist is wagging his finger saying you've got to do this now. Uh, and as a result, they don't go back to the bad thing. It, it becomes a permanent change because that bit is doing what it knows is awesome and it loves doing rather than doing it under sufferance or because somebody said you've got to do this now. Um, and I guess practically what that means is when we do work, it's not did it work or did it not work? Right. It's, is the work complete or is it incomplete? And if mm. it's incomplete, we complete the work because it's a conversation. It's me negotiating with your subconscious. I work on a very simple premise here, right? Your crew are all looking for the best strategy for the most happiness. That's it. Yeah. Now I know we often get told, Oh, our mind is actually it's functional towards safety. It's keeping us, it's survival is the, is the primary function of our subconscious. I don't actually believe that. I think safety is important because it's a key component element of happiness. But I believe happiness is what your subconscious is trying to achieve. If it wasn't, you wouldn't see people jumping out of airplanes just for the lols. Yeah. You wouldn't (laughs) see them leaping from bridges with elastic bands tied to their legs because of the thrill of it. And you certainly wouldn't see people ending their lives because they don't see the possibility of happiness in that life. Mm. I don't think suicide would be possible if all your crew was trying to do was keep the ship afloat. I think we have a duty to ourselves to motivate those parts of our minds towards what's going to be the best strategy for the most happiness. Yeah. We sometimes have to clear out that idea that if I stop doing this thing, it will be unsafe because safety is a key component element of happiness. But if we, if we can get our minds steering towards why this would be the best thing for us, then your crew will say, that's what I want to do. That's what I'm trying to achieve. But we spend too much time telling it it's not trying hard enough or it's not doing well enough without telling it what we'd actually like it to do instead. And that's for me. That's my practically, that's my approach. I want to find the crew member that's doing the wrong thing and give it a good reason to do the right thing. But the first bit of that is listening to why it's doing this thing. If that makes sense. I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm either yeah. confusing no. everyone or explaining it now. No, <laughs> no, 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 no,
0: no, no. I get that. I get that. So, yeah. you, you know, what's, What's the direction? What's the, what, what, what's, what's the future with regards to what you're doing, Tim? The future? Yeah. Is, okay, you,
1: uh, if you really want me to, to talk about big picture, what I would ideally like to see? Yeah. Um, in 10 or 15 years' time, I'd like to see it just the norm that we understand how to communicate with those parts of us that are in charge of our emotions. and and that our emotional responses listen to our conscious direction and I think that comes from teaching people how to directly communicate with their own subconscious and how to manage that relationship with your own mind I think too often because we lack direction in that area I was I was never educated in how to understand what my subconscious is doing and, and why it's doing it I think if I had I'd have achieved, I'd get to where I am now a lot quicker, probably. I, would have, I wouldn't have had to go through so many experiential learnings and, and failings and things like that. I think if I'd have been taught how to manage my mind in the same way I was taught English or French or maths, then life would have been a lot simpler in, in, the, in the way we go about it, I think. And yeah. I'd like that. I'd like that to be general information. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, yeah, I want to go and teach kids how to do it, because I have no interest in teaching kids. But some of my practitioners really, really do. And I'm really excited about the prospect of teaching our kids how to, to, how to not fall into those traps of having a go at ourselves for what we don't achieve or what we do wrong. Yeah. This is why anxiety is so rife, is because when it happens, we think there's something wrong with us. And that's what causes the main issue, thinking that we have a, a problem or a disorder and that we can't control it. The the knowledge that we are in control of our own emotional responses is something I would like to see just as a given. Just think, you know, like the reading, writing, arithmetic and controlling our own and emotions, maybe. You yeah. know, that's, that's, that's what I'd like to see, yeah?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I I, I love encountering people that that have a have a bit of visionary about them you know um, um regardless of where they're at regardless of the kind of differences that it may have with with, with my own approach i love people yeah. that, that 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 have a bit of visionary about them and that that, that 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 are on a mission and um and speak from the heart with regards to that and, and it's been a real joy hearing you uh, communicate in in that way tim um, um so so for people that want to go and learn more about this or that want to come and train um and so on it's the same website www the control system.co.uk. is that right
1: absolutely yeah there's there's loads of ways of, of, of finding what the system is you can there's a there's a little download an online download that takes you through the system in a couple of hours or there is I have practitioners who run one day workshops teaching people how to get control of their own stuff and I run practitioner trainings teaching people how to then apply this method to their clients um, yeah so there's loads of ways of, of sort of
0: discovering it and uh, finding out a bit more Great, great, great. Well, I really look forward... To to, to to seeing how that goes and seeing it continue to develop and I, and I really wish you the best with it and I'm looking forward to meeting you at this year's UK hypnosis convention any yeah. um, um any any additional plug that I can give for that you know Tim is going to be coming and and speaking at, at that event this year um and really all that remains for me to say today Tim is to thank you for coming and giving so generously of your time the information and thank you for being this week's guest on the hypnosis week podcast
1: thank you adam i really appreciate you having me on the show and uh, yeah lovely i'm really looking forward to meeting you and meeting loads of other people at the convention this year awesome awesome <laughs>
0: I really enjoyed that. He's uh, a lovely guy, Tim. Um, we spoke off air for a while. Um, um, and like I said, great guy. He's going to be speaking at this year's hypnosis convention too here in the UK, the UK hypnosis convention. Um, and there is a link to Tim's website over at this episode's page of the hypnosis weekly website and in the episode notes at iTunes. So uh, Go check him out. Um, So finally, this week is our evidence-based factoid um, of the week. And the factoid is this, um, um, and that is that that self-hypnosis is associated with significant improvement of headaches uh, with an enduring positive effect for many years following training um, um, amongst young people. So um, the author, um, um, Cohen, back in 2010, sent a number of surveys to... um, 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 youths that have previously been referred for hypnosis for headaches as a long-term follow-up to some of his former research. Um, The survey sought current status of headaches, uh, the treatment, the application of self-hypnosis, headache intensity, frequency, duration after hypnosis, generalization of self-hypnosis to other problems and attitudes regarding um, self-hypnosis and life stresses. And um, several years after the treatment, 85 percent reported continued relief with self-hypnosis, 44 percent reported decreased headache frequency, 31 percent noted decreased severity and 56 percent reported that self-hypnosis reduced headache intensity. Many emphasised the value of self-hypnosis to life stresses as well. Um, so they have a really cool study a, a you know two thousand and ten study a follow up study to, to other studies i 'm um, um, showing that in children and adolescents self hypnosis is associated with significant improvement of headaches with an enduring positive effect for many years following training and the results suggest you know common and spontaneous generalizability of self-hypnosis by young people to modulation of other problems in their lives which um, I thought was just excellent you know really good read. Um, There's a link to that research paper included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website. Um, And if you follow me on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, you can find masses of memes relating to a variety of studies whereby hypnosis has been examined. Um, That's it for this week's 115th edition. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I've got many more exciting guests that I'm going to be welcoming um, in coming editions of Hypnosis Weekly. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating and above all remaining friends. Next episode, I'm going to be welcoming Jimmy Petruzzi and we're going to talk about performance, hypnosis and much more besides. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted at each episode on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosisweekly.com hypnosis-weekly.com. I absolutely welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions. Do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website and make sure that they get addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again go to Tim Box Uh, and thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now.